Good morning. Good to be with you this morning. Grab your Bible or your phone, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Uh, if you're a guest with us today, thanks for taking the time to be here, making the choice to come spend time with us. Uh, we're a group of people that are passionate about following Jesus and learning to submit our lives to Him, but uh, I'll warn you, we're a work in progress. Uh, <laughs> but by the grace of God, we're working it out. Amen? Amen? Look at somebody next to you and say, thank God he's working on you. <clears throat> we kicked off a, a series of messages last week that, that we're calling uh, Consumed. And we thought, man, you know what would be fun? Why don't we take the fall season and why don't we address the seven deadly sins? Uh just for fun. Let's do that. So that's what we've been doing. We started it last week. These are uh, seven sins that this group of sins kind of came together in a list around the fourth century. Uh, was kind of solidified around the, the sixth century. But there's seven sins that the church has talked about for a long time. And for clarity's sake, I want to just define sin. Uh, I think it's helpful if you're newer to the scriptures or newer to this concept. It's helpful to have some definitions. And I want to recommend a resource. If you're not familiar with the Bible Project and you are new to the Scriptures, uh, man, look that up after service today, the Bible Project. There is tons of resources that are helpful as you're learning to engage and understand the Scriptures. And they have some definitions for uh, sin, um, describing what the, what the Bible says about sin. In the Old Testament, uh, the word for sin is the Hebrew word chata. And when you speak in Hebrew, you always have to act like you're hawking a loogie. Um, so this word in Hebrew means to fail or miss the goal. And so the goal at the very beginning of the story, our origin story as believers, the goal was to be in relationship with God and to love God and to love one another and to steward creation. And, and so sin in that context and still in our context today is to miss the goal, to not do that, to not love God, to not love each other, and to not steward what we were called to steward. That's what it means to, to sin, to be outside of God's design. Sin, sin, it disintegrates what God intended. It disintegrates, it messes it up. Uh, in the New Testament, the word is hamartia, it's a Greek word, and it's similar, it just means to miss the mark. So if you're an archer this morning and you like to shoot arrows, I am not an archer. You'll probably see it by my skills and whatever I'm doing right now. <laughs> but in, in archery, to miss the mark, if I'm pulling back to shoot a target in the back of the room uh, and I shoot somebody over here, I've missed the mark, right? And so that's sin. In the New Testament, it's to the intention is to hit something back there, but you're hitting something completely different or missing the mark. So these are the definitions for sin. And the seven deadly sins are simply seven examples of ways that we miss the mark or miss the goal. We don't accomplish what God had intended. We, we go against his design. And as we discussed last week, this list of seven, it's not an exhaustive list. There are more than seven ways you can dishonor God and other people. Are you with me on that? But these seven are, are common really to everybody, I think. They're, they're, they're common struggles, things that pull us away from following the Lord. Last Sunday, if you were with us, uh, we tackled the topic of lust. Uh, if you missed that sermon, there's some activity for you this afternoon. You can go back and watch that. And we, we talked about this idea of disordered desires. 
that when our, our desires get disordered, they can create some serious problems. In following Jesus in a world that's celebrating a lot of things that are disordered, it's really, really hard to actually be a follower of Jesus. Um, but we want to do that. We want to follow in his ways. And, and here's what you'll discover if you haven't already, just after one week. This series, this conversation that we're going to have for seven weeks is going to make it very, very clear that in the sin department, we are all guilty. <laughs> we're all guilty. If you haven't got there after week one, you'll get there by week seven. If you haven't got there by week seven, your ears are turned off. The, the, the issue is we're all actually sinners. And these things are highlighting some of the, uh, the yuck within our own hearts. So that's why there's a weight to it. There's almost like, oh my gosh, why does this feel heavy? Why, does, why am I uncomfortable in this? There's going to be moments of that. There'll be moments of conviction. And I, and I pray that as we enter into this and we feel that weight, that we would bring our lives to Jesus, the one who actually rescues us and redeems us, saves us from our sin. That's the whole idea. We're, we're all broken, but we know a God who loves us and came to save us. Anybody grateful for that today? Back in 2004, uh, it, an interesting shift took place that affected me on a personal level deeply. I was a sophomore at Elma College. I was playing basketball, studying biology, and I was also really good at something else when I was 20, eating. <laughs> Professional status. There was a... Uh, a Pizza Sam's. They don't even have those out here. There's just a local pizzeria that was right down the street from my dorm room. And it would be embarrassing to tally the number of large pizzas I consumed in my time at Elma College. Uh, but I blame my father. My father went to the same college and he ate the same pizza at Pizza Sam's. So I'm blaming it's the sins of the father passed on to the son. Uh, generational curse, right? There's the definition. But it wasn't Pizza Sam's. That's not the shift that, that happened. It happened at another establishment that I frequented in my 20s. Uh, up until 2004, I could almost bank on a very specific question being asked to me when I approached the till of this specific fast food joint, McDonald's. Anybody know back in 2004, some of you guys weren't even around, but man, hopefully you remember or somebody's told you these stories. Yes, would you like that supersized? Right? When you would order something, you would be asked, do you want that bigger? That's, that's the question. It started around the 80s and 90s. Uh, it's this trend that started. And I, I have one of the mats from that time. This was beyond the tray when you went to McDonald's. You can't see this, but I'm going to read it. Um, when it's summertime, it's time for big fun and big tastes. Like the taste of McDonald's cool, refreshing soft drinks. I think I'm going to sign up to try to give ads for McDonald's. Maybe they could pay me for this. Or our world-famous fries. Or a delicious thick and smooth shake. Just for the summer, we've made them better by making them bigger. <laughs> so the taste you love will last even longer. Okay. Funny to look at this. The reality is, in the business industry, right, it's, it's connected to dollars and cents. And McDonald's was making a decision that would bring them in more money. But here was the premise. Here's what they were banking on. If people love our French fries, won't they love more French fries? And won't that get us more money, right? If some fries are good, 
aren't more fries better? To which all of us would say, I think so, right? I think so. More fries is good. According to McDonald's, the more you have, the longer you can experience enjoyment. Just, yeah, eat so you could just eat all afternoon French fries, and the enjoyment just keeps on going. If you haven't guessed it by now, we're talking about the sin of gluttony today. Everyone say gluttony. gluttony. My goodness. The dictionary defines gluttony as excess in eating or drinking, greedy or excessive indulgence. So here's the question to ask ourselves. As we begin this fun conversation, is there any excessive eating or drinking in my life? Have I become greedy in my relationship with food? And do I regularly participate in excessive indulgence? I had somebody come up to me after first service and say, You're a jerk for doing this during football season. I said, point taken. <laughs> I, I find it incredibly fascinating that when Jesus, God himself, showed up amongst us, when he was beginning his ministry, he was getting ready to start his ministry, Luke 4 tells us that full of the Spirit, he headed out into the wilderness and he fasted for 40 days. So prepping to carry out the will of God, he disconnected from food for 40 days. Interesting observation. I also find it rather interesting that the origin story of our faith took a sour turn when Adam and Eve ate something. Have you ever thought about that? When they, when they grabbed on, they ate something that they weren't supposed to and it pulled them away from... Genesis 25, if you're familiar with the scriptures, Jacob and Esau. Esau sold his birthright for what? Soup for food. He sold his birthright for it. The Bible is full of stories, actually. Full of stories and instructions related to food. Why? Because food and drink have a powerful, powerful influence on our lives. They affect us deeply. Food and drink have a, a, a huge effect, biologically, chemically, all of those things. Now, the influence of, of food is different depending on where you live. I have some friends that I've spent time with over the years in the Dominican Republic, and they spend a majority of their day procuring and preparing food to, to eat and be thankful for in the evening. And to be able to share food with other people is a blessing from God. And so I've, I've sat with families who have given me their best of their food because they've seen God has given this to us and it's, it's a blessing to be able to serve. So every ounce of food, there's gratitude, there's thankfulness, there's, it's, it's beautiful. And then there are places like uh, America <laughs> where we have special food buildings called grocery stores that have shelves with hundreds and hundreds of pounds of prepackaged food all arranged nicely for our convenience so that we don't have to do any of the work of getting our food ready for us. We just swing by after work and we grab our pre-cooked chicken or slab of fish that's already processed. But you know what? Because we're busy people, I mean, 
God forbid that we would, would have to prepare food. If that's too much for us, we can drive by another type of building and they will hand us food into our car. Now hear me, I don't say these things. This isn't a shaming conversation because I visit the same grocery stores and the same fast food joints. But when you step back and you begin to look at your relationship with food, our relationship with food, our country's relationship with food, in comparison with the rest of the world, it's really interesting. It's very, very interesting. We live in a ridiculous amount of luxury and affluence, which can often lead to gluttony. And, and gluttony is not good for the soul. Can we agree on that? Okay. In 2008, Susan Collins published a book that's now a highly popular movie series called The Hunger Games. Has anybody seen The Hunger Games? Uh, if you examine this book or this film with a critical eye... It's actually a sobering commentary on wealth and affluence and what it does to mankind. Think about this. In the movie, there are the wealthy who live in luxury and abundance in the capital. And there are those who live outside of the capital in the districts. And they're just scraping to get by like they barely have enough food to eat. And those with an overabundance in the capital, you know what they do? They recruit people from the districts to come and battle to the death for their entertainment. You've seen the movie. Did I just ruin the movie for you? Like ruin those movies? The, the, this is what's going on. And, and Collins, the author, she was inspired by a lot of different things in writing this. One of the things she was inspired by, or that spurred on the book, was, was the Roman culture. Gladi- gladi- gladiators. Gladiators. Right? You're familiar with gladiators? I mean, it was, it's the same idea. The rich Roman culture, the, the rich would come into the Colosseum and they would overindulge in food and drink and they would watch slaves get ripped apart by animals and they would all cheer. Like, when we examine these things, it's wild. But it's scary how many parallels there are with like how what we do and what we engage in and how we're entertained and... That was the whole point of her writing the book. She wanted to kind of shine a light on, like, hey, look at this. This is kind of wild. Historically, gluttony seems to be, most often, the sin of the affluent. Listen to this quote I read this week. Gluttony is perhaps the most tolerated sin in American Christianity. I say this not as someone who's immune from the attractions of the buffet line but as someone who needs all the help he can get. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, most, if not all, of us have a dysfunctional relationship with food. We love it and we hate it. We often find ourselves careening between stuffed stomachs and crashed diets. Or perhaps we've given up altogether, watching with resignation as our waistlines expand into the distant horizon. When we stop thinking about our relationship with food and its effects, when we stop thinking about how much we're eating and where we're eating and when we're eating, when we stop asking questions about what is right and what is healthy and what is, what is good, when it comes to consumption, we quickly find ourselves slipping into the issue we're addressing today, gluttony. 
what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus when it comes to food? How do we deal with the sin of gluttony? Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I said we were going to get there. Here we are. This passage, uh, it's great. It, it, it's helpful for today because it kind of connects what we talked about last week even because the majority of chapter 6 is talking about sexual immorality and, and disordered desires. But the principle that Paul presents to us in this text, it, it applies really in every area of our life. Here's what he says. Chapter 6, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12 it says this, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Now in your Bible or your phone, it, it, it probably has all things are lawful in quotes. And, and scholars believe that this was a saying that had become popularized for Christians living in Corinth. That they would have said, oh, all things are lawful. And the idea is, Jesus has saved us and rescued us. Like, it's not our works, it's not what we do that rescues us. So it doesn't really matter what we do anymore, right? Because it's not like I do good things and then God loves me. So why would I restrain myself from any desire or pleasure? All things are lawful. Because I'm saved by grace. Paul says, here, let me make it practical for you. He says, okay. I hear what you're saying, but pay attention to your behavior. Is it helping you or is it helping others thrive? Is it helping you become more and more like Jesus, whatever this behavior that you're engaging in is? Or is it making you more and more a prisoner? Has the desire become your master? He, he says, great, all things are lawful, but, but we, we should be dominated by anything. Has the desire become your master? Uh, Jacob, I'm going to have you bring that up to me, please. Thank you. need like a wheelbarrow to get these things up here. I'm going to illustrate Paul's point here. Okay, this is a bag of tortilla chips. You probably have one in your <laughs> pantry too. Um, is there anyone here this morning that can relate to having a desire for a salty snack? I did not... I did not go to the grocery store to pick this up as a sermon illustration. This is from my pantry. This is my bag of chips. So just to be clear, I'm pointing out something that I am working out constantly. <laughs> now, can we agree together this morning that there is no specific instruction in the scriptures that would keep us from enjoying a salty, crunchy snack? Agreed. So, so we're on the same page that spiritually... It is lawful for me to consume these chips and digest them and eat them. Agreed. Can we also agree that if I open this bag and I start eating them, there would come a point where it would be less beneficial for me to continue eating? Like at some point, it's like, this is no longer helpful. This is no longer beneficial to me or to anybody else, to continue eating this bag of chips. At some point, the, the chips 
kind of become master, the desire, the craving becomes the master, and we mindlessly engage. I am saying this from practice myself. I'm guilty of this. Because here's the thing. I'll sit down and I'll watch something on television. My brain will be shut off because I'm being entertained, and I'm eating without thinking. Am I hitting a chord? Like we're tra- we almost have trained ourselves to do this. We're not thinking about eating anymore. We're just eating. Now this is a silly example, but hopefully you get the point. And this is the point that Paul is making. I'm guessing, again, all of us can relate to crossing the line with food or drink. All of us can. And so think about this. When you have overindulged in food or you've had too much to drink, have you ever thought to yourself... <sighs> I feel amazing. <laughs> I'm so glad that I crushed this whole bag of chips. John and I were joking before first service because I have shared with the staff like that I can just mindlessly eat these chips, these chips right here, these kind. And he said, do you eat the whole bag in one sitting? And I said, dude, I probably made it halfway through in one sitting. And I have never done that and got up from the couch and thought, man, I am ready to serve the Lord. <laughs> what ends up happening is, is I complain for about an hour to my wife that I am uncomfortable in my guttural region. <laughs> that I don't know why I just did that. Bah. Anybody testify? Paul says, just because you can, doesn't mean you should. I mean, it's as practical as that. Like, is it helpful? Is it beneficial? Is it good for you? If not, uh, maybe we shouldn't do it. Now, I want to stop, and I want to acknowledge that, I mean, I'm making light of something but that's very serious and personal, and in our relationship, every single person in here, our relationship with food is different. Depending on our family, depending on our genetics, depending on medications that we're on. Like, this is not, I'm not trying to shame anybody. That's not the goal. I'm trying to bring us to a scripture that talks about this. And all of us have to bring our heart before the Lord and say, what does this mean for me? A- am I crossing the line? Does, it, it could look very different from somebody sitting next to you, but... We all have to bring our heart before this and say, Lord, what are you saying to me through this? Is there something you're saying to me through this? Are you speaking to me? Am I the master or am I the slave here? Paul, in the next few verses, 13 through 18, he speaks about sexual immorality and the importance of honoring God with our bodies. And then he closes, uh, verse 19, he closes the thought with this. He says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Now this right here could be the core text for this entire series. Like, etch this into your heart and your mind. This could be central, because this is the reason why we should care about any of this stuff. 
This is what Paul says. You are not your own. You're not your own. The life you have, it was a gift that was given to you. We're not our own. You're not your own. As the believers in Corinth were trying to sort out, like, what's okay and what's not okay, and where can I indulge and where shouldn't I indulge, as they're sorting this out, as we are sorting all of this stuff out, Paul reminds them, hey, this isn't about, like, what you have a right to do. This is about what honors God. Where did we miss that? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Glorify God in your body. We often talk in service here, and a lot of the things that we do, we talk about surrendering our lives to Jesus. You've probably heard this language. That's literally what we mean. <laughs> We're surrendering ownership to Jesus, who is our Lord. So he is the one who gives direction, and we submit to his direction. It's not about what we want. It's about what honors him. He's the one that's in charge. And Paul says, listen, the, your body, you, you are a temple. God's presence is within you. you are, you're a carrier of God's presence. Now, if, if you're new to faith, or you're exploring faith, or you're asking questions about this, if you don't believe this part to be true, that, that you have been purchased, that, that God gave his life for you, and you've surrendered to that, and you trust that you've been saved by grace, by Jesus, if you... If you don't believe the truth that your body is not your own. It makes total sense that any of this would feel like religious, restrictive, controlling type of language. Like, why would you, if you don't believe that your body is not your own, then why would you have any guidelines at all in regards to what you desire? Like, to do what you want to do. But as believers in Jesus... We, let, we see these words from Paul and we say, no, we actually do believe this. We don't own our body. We're stewards. I steward the life that I've been given. I take care of it. We house the presence of God, so we seek to glorify Him in all areas. And so when it comes to food, we seek not to be mastered by anything. We don't want to be mastered by anything. We don't want to be oversaturated <laughs> We don't want to overconsume because really it inhibits our ability to be present to what the Lord is doing in us and around us. Worship team, you guys can join me up. Uh, I'll close with this. This summer, many of you know I wasn't here. I took a sabbatical. I took a, a time of rest and renewal. And part of my time away, uh, I carved out about a week's time where I disconnected really completely. I, it was a time of solitude and prayer. And during that period, I fasted for a number of days. And here's what I experienced. I experienced the presence of God so tangible, it was overwhelming. It was like, I didn't hear... There wasn't like an audible voice like, hey, what's up, great, glad you're with me. Like, it wasn't that. I didn't see lightning bolts. It wasn't like some crazy vision that I saw. But there was an understanding that God was so near. Like, I, I, I took a few days and I just walked the coastline and I prayed. And it was like, it's like 
God was literally within me. Weird, because he promised to be within me. Here's the thing. That was just in a few days that that took place. My ability to discern the work of God within me, in just a few days, it became so crystal clear. I wonder, I just wonder, because I know this is true for my own life. I wonder if our disconnection from the Lord, our disconnection from hearing the Lord, is related to our overconsumption and oversaturation with food and drink and entertainment. God has never stopped speaking. God has never stopped working. But it's like all of our receptors are clogged. In a kind of a gross way to say it. It's like, it's like he's tr- he is constantly speaking over us, but we're, everything, we're taken up. We're over-distracted. We're over-consumed. We, we've, we've numbed ourselves. We've hampered our ability to hear because we're consumed with worldly things. Listen to this encouragement from Philippians 3. This is also Paul. He says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many, of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So Paul uses this language like, what I'm hearing, friends, in Corinth is that, is that you're being mastered by these earthly desires. Your God is, is your belly. Your God is your desire. It's become your God. But our citizenship is in heaven. We're serving, we're serving the Lord of the universe. And we're submitting our lives to him and our minds to him and our hearts to him and our bodies to him. He's, it's an invitation to come back into alignment. And I wonder if, I wonder if we need that today. I mean, it's, it's, it's comical, but it's also a little bit scary to think, you know, my conversations after first service on this topic, like, I mean, it was a joke. Why'd you do this during football season? <laughs> right? But that's kind of interesting if you think about it. Like, I think we can justify anything that we do. I can find a reason to not follow Jesus. I can find a lot of reasons to not follow Jesus and give an excuse for it and what I'm experiencing in this world. Anybody else? What do we do with that? What does it mean to be surrendered? What does it mean to let Jesus be Lord? Will you pray with me? Lord, this, (laughs) we are aware of the ways we missed the mark today. And we're thankful, Jesus, that you have made a way to rescue us and to heal us and to restore us and to make us new. And it isn't our work. It isn't our 
ordering. It's your goodness and your grace towards us. But Jesus, we want to be a people who honor the gift of salvation, who honor the gift of your presence and your goodness, who honor, honor you with every part of our lives. We're not our own. We've been bought with a price. And it is a privilege and an honor and a joy to serve you, Jesus. To be yours. To trust you. To allow you to be sufficient. To be our strength and our comfort and our peace. Some of the things that we go to food to look for. God, you have provided all those things for us. Help us to find you in the midst of this conversation and to trust you. Whatever that looks like for us today. Thank you for being near to us. We pray this in your name. Amen.